0: The question they keep trying to ask that's the right question for them okay so does that mean the batch we're delivering is actually different than the traditional and
1: the answer was yes it is different but but doing it with a more discerning eye towards is this actually moving the needle for me is this this is what I think this is going to do to improve my process does it actually do that thing instead of just blindly copying Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished
0: industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion Chief Evangelist.
2: Hello everybody, welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. This is going to be a fun one. It's a first for me to actually have two guests concurrently. They've both recently been our, on our podcast. We've got Catherine Radica and Kathy Iberly, and uh, they each did an episode about a month or so ago, and and they were highly ranked. So, and in in both cases, they mentioned that they were working on a book. So uh, we thought it'd be great to get them back and talk to us about about that book and and what's going on. So. I'll just say to you both, welcome to the show. Glad to have you back.
1: Really good to be here. Thank you.
2: How's uh, how's things in the Pacific Northwest? Getting a winter yet, or? <laughs>
1: yeah, we're starting to get rainy and cold. It's a little warmer than it probably should be. Mm. Um, but we are getting plenty of rain, so that's good.
2: Yeah, good, good, good. Wrapping up the year, getting ready for closeout 2021 and let's get into
0: 2022.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Good. Well, uh, you know, uh, Catherine, I follow your blog series quite a bit, especially the Agile for Hardware. And, you know, if any of you listening aren't aware of that, I really highly suggest you, you, you subscribe to that. There'll be links in the show notes. But uh, your newest post, I think it came out yesterday or day before, five things that drive agility for hardware teams, but software methods fail to deliver. I really like that one. What inspired you to write it that way?
1: well um well it's it's kind of the same thing that inspired me to write the book which is that we so often see people come in from the software space and try to help hardware teams achieve agility but because of inherent differences between how we have to develop hardware products versus how software products are developed um, the agile practices that they try to use from software don't actually work Um, and that's in fact what the entire book is about the entire book is about how we can use the same fundamental principles that underlie agile, but use those principles in a way that actually works for teams that have to deliver a physical product. And so uh, that blog was kind of a summary of some of the mo- mo- more irritating um, things that I've seen people do, where I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I, you know that that doesn't work. And we, we not only know that it doesn't work, we know why it doesn't work.
2: Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people are still Still trying to figure it out. I think you're you're at a good point in time when a tremendous amount of attention on it and failures, uh, mistakes. You know, people looking for guidance. Uh, it's certainly not matured yet by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a very hot topic. A lot of people talking about it. So your book is called "When Agile Gets Physical." Is that correct? It is,
0: and we're thinking. Thinking about
2: how does Agile
0: work if you are having, if you work with physical products that are going to have a manufacturing process, so you're not just delivering the, pro- the designed product, you also have to deliver a manufacturing process, and some of those manufacturing process pieces have very long lead times.
2: Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I can imagine a lot of mistakes are made if you don't get that coordination correctly, Right.
1: That, that's exactly right. In fact, you know, if you look at the root causes of the reasons why a lot of physical products take too long and cost too much, um, a lot of that has to do with mistakes that lead to problems in production, mm-hmm. which leads to a product that can't effectively be scaled up. Um, and so it might work in prototype, but then you get it into, you know, you actually have to work with real manufacturing tolerances, you know, real manufacturing processes and materials, and you find that your design actually has some some challenges that you didn't see when you were just working with prototypes. And that's not something that happens in software very much because of the difference in how software is of what it is.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the first things I learned in my first commercial jo- uh, job doing commercial software was the first time I, I wrote something that didn't scale up. It was quite an experience, but you learn very quickly to think about scaling everything you write and what you're going to need to think about. And there's very well-known techniques. Back in the 80s, there were very well-known techniques to be able to test and plan for scale-up. So it's a pretty well-understood field in software. And one of the things in software is, is you don't get hit by results of physics. Yeah. You might get unexpected surprises because one of your partners has changed their software part but the physics does not come in, and that is where you get most of the, pro- or many of the problems with physical objects, is that when they are scaled up, the actual physical behavior isn't quite the same as what it was at, at a small scale.
2: Yeah, and you don't really have don't really have manufacturing, in the way I think about it, for a physical product, right? You don't need to build, for, for a digital product, the software side, you don't need a robotics line. But... But what are some of the issues that from a manufacturing standpoint that you see around that?
1: So there's lots of different things that can go wrong in a manufacturing process. And, and the thing about a digital product is that a digital product can be pretty endlessly replicated. You know, you think about just downloading a file onto your computer, and you know, he's like, yeah, it takes a takes a little time. And if it's a big file, it might take a little, might take more than a little time. But it's not, but what you're gonna get is almost is almost an exact copy. Of what was originally up there. And you don't and you don't have to think about that. Right. But you put something into a manufacturing process and there's multiple assembly steps along the way. Each of those steps has tolerances um, and, and, and limits that a machine can hold to. And you get conflicts when, you know, when you get tolerance stacks that lead to inherent manufacturing variation that leads to a product that can't be assembled correctly. And those are the kinds of things that a hardware team has to think deeply about as they're developing their product, if they want to make sure that they, you know, not just can make just one of these things, but that they can make them by the thousands, by the millions. Um, And so that leads to then the need for um, these teams to think about, what they're going to do, and test what they're going to do in ways that help them predict performance in manufacturing. And this is not something that a, um, a software developer really has to think about much at all.
2: Right, right. And what are the implications, though, of that? Uh, because there's there's software that's embedded, right? So it has to be embedded, and, and maybe uh, chips need to be flashed somehow, either part of the manufacturing process or part of the supply chain process. And then there's software that's on the side, that's really unfair to say because it's not exactly correct depiction. But but the apps, the the things that that aren't directly in the product, right? But they're necessary. They're part of the business model. Uh, they're part of the product in a way. Talk a little bit about those two aspects. From a manufacturing standpoint, you have to worry about I think one more than another, or or is that not an issue?
0: Flashing uh, is a. Pretty well-known process. Again, you're getting an exact replica of the firmware. You're, you're much more concerned about whether the hardware that you're working with is that you're driving. You know, you've got the embedded software is making parts move usually. And are those parts still exactly the same parts? Ah, That's yeah. much more the issue. Mm-hmm. So installation can be a, a, an issue with software. But basically, what what we're seeing in the industry is that the agile methods, when introduced 20 to 25 years ago in most fields, sometimes later, sometimes a bit earlier, uh, once people adopted those, they were able to use them successfully. And uh, many, many embedded software teams use agile methods. The issue that they have is, while they're working on their own with simulators, with prototype parts, it's it's all great and the Agile methods are doing what they're supposed to and they work, it's when they, then when they have to integrate with the rest of the hardware, and the whole hardware team is operating on a completely different set of assumptions that you must do all the design, and then it's going to freeze at this point, and then we're going to do a whole bunch of testing, but we won't go back and do any design again. That's not the way the Agile software works at all.
1: It's not. And so what they'll do, the first thing they'll do then is, oh, well, they should work like us. They should be agile. And agile is really compelling, right? Because if you talk to a hardware manager who doesn't really, you know, have much knowledge about software, about agile, they what they see is, you know, they see the, you know, the NBA star, you know, dribbling down the court and like dodging and they see, you know, the the goalie on the soccer field who's like keeping the ball away from the goal. and, and, And that's what they think agility is. And that sounds really great, right? Because it means fast, flexible, responsive. Well, who doesn't want that? In a dynamic environment, who doesn't need that, right? But then, the problem arises when they then say oh well then i should go talk to my agile software people about what they do and we should do what they do because right. what they're doing is based upon a completely different set of problems uh, to solve and a completely different set of assumptions about what development is, is happening in development and and that's where we see the problems and so we set out what we set out to do with this book was to say okay let's we do know that we can can help physical product teams Become faster, more flexible, more responsive, and we can even use some of the same principles that the agile teams are doing to do that. What we can't reuse is the practices and tools, at least not nearly to the same degree that people think they can be.
2: That's yeah, where they make their mistakes, right?
1: hmm mm-hmm. We
0: go back to the example earlier of the scaling up with a software. With software, and scale up's not actually a real good example because that's a really well known well-known field, but you you have software, you're not sure if your customer is going to like it. it. because the cost of change is very low, it's easy to write you know part of the interface and show it to them and say, is this what you wanted? Is this is this going to work for you? Uh, but with a piece of physical object getting a mock-up that's sufficiently real, realistic and handing it to a person and say, hold this Try it, does it fit in your hand? Does it do what you need? And then if it doesn't, the software people are like, okay, yeah, give me a week and I'll have that redone. The hardware people are like, okay, we're gonna have to redo molds. Or we're gonna, we have a whole bunch of stuff we have to back up. The cost of change is a lot higher. So yeah. si- simply making the thing and trying it isn't nearly as practical. And so you have to figure out ways to get the equivalent results Without actually building the whole thing,
1: yeah. And another myth that's kind of floating around out there is that things like rapid prototyping is and modeling and things can save us, can help us be just as agile. As yeah, us.
2: sure, right. And,
1: and well, and that's true up to a point. But what today the way that three D printing is used is. We use 3D printing to do things like, oh, yeah, we'll mock up several handle designs and we'll get that into the hands of people and we'll ask them how they feel. But the 3D printed material is not the same material as will be used in the final product. The final, and it's going to have different, it has significantly different properties. And so we can't predict necessarily from a 3D printed model what the final manufacturing factor product will be um, and how how it will behave in, in ways that are important for especially things like reliability. And so it's not going to be enough to just 3D print our way out of the problem. Um, Even after, in fact, even after, you know, additive manufacturing becomes the way that a lot of products are produced. um, It's still going to be, you know, we're still going to be thinking about issues of scalability and, you know, material choices and reliability, and it's not going to make those problems go away. And I think like, like there for a while, um, you know, there was a group that made a 3D printed car and they're like, oh, this is the wave of the future. You know, great 3D printed cars. And that was five years ago. Mm, you know, we don't we don't have 3D printed cars. Not even Musk is going with 3D printed cars. Right.
2: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the chapters in the book.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I think the good news here is that there's actual if you take Agile and you go and look at what's actually making it work, then you can apply those principles to this Somewhat different world, and you come up with methods that are very effective that can produce agility, but they don't look exactly like a software agile method. So, people who are experts in software agile might argue about, you know, we're not going to claim that these are exactly the same as the software methods, they're not. So, the book starts out with describing some of the problems, and then we take a look at what is actually making software agile work, which is breaking, um, breaking down the work into small pieces that of, of something real, something that actually has value, a, a piece of the functionality of the software is the way software does it. And you can do something similar, but not quite the same in the hardware world. So you're looking at chunks that deliver value, and then you're figuring out how to manage them using a set of tools that are in fact the same tools that you use in software, the answers, the actual method ends up being somewhat different. It's like you're taking an equation and you're plugging in somewhat different values
1: and your answer is going to be different,
0: but it's still the same equation that's making it work.
2: Yeah,
1: and then after after we've explained that, what we do is we talk about some specific areas where we've done this. So one is the Rapid Learning Cycles Framework itself, um, which is an area that I've been working in in quite a while, um, designed for using agile principles in early development to maximize the flow of knowledge. So that is what a hardware team is doing in the early stages of development. They're building up the knowledge that they need to then develop the product and the manufacturing process that will lead to a sustainable product. After that, we talk about uh, what we call you know uh, uh, various iterations towards an, iterate, an integration train, which is an improved way to iterate Um, improved way to integrate hardware and software cloud services and all of that um, together so that the software teams can be using all the agile software practices they want. The hardware teams can be working in the way that works the best for them. And yet the group as a whole is able to get the work of integration done.
0: So it uh, provides a bridge between the two worlds where it's not the small, tiny chunks that the software people prefer to work in, but it's not the, let's just freeze the whole thing and then test it all that the hardware team uh, traditionally would do. And, and particularly, we see this with mechanical engineering. A lot of your electrical engineering products actually use some uh, a modified form of Agile already, uh, and their cost of change typically is somewhat lower. So it, it varies a lot from field to field, but you get some tools to look at your specific field and see, think about how could we apply this so that we could improve our understanding of our schedule, uh, what order we do things in, if we change the order, this goes faster. Oh, wow, that's a win. Um, And Mm -hmm. and being able to see the progress a lot more clearly. So one of the pieces of feedback we get fairly often is, is we can actually... Talk to each other now. We All of the teams are understanding across their very different uh, um, engineering disciplines. Mm-hmm. We now have some common language that makes sense to all of us.
1: And we know where we are. I mean, that's the thing. That That is the a big revelation for a lot of teams is in the beginning to understand what they need to learn and what major decisions they have in front of them that need to be right because they're gonna be difficult to change later. And then um, as the team goes further down the path, to be able to see how, exactly how the rest of the product is going to come together and where they are in that process so that they spot problems early, so that they are able to be responsive as new information comes in.
2: Yeah. Well, if we can get teams to understand each other, that's a huge win. Huge. Because that's the biggest uh, bottleneck friction that I, that I see is uh, they, just, they just don't understand each other. Well, who's your? who would you say your book is for? Who would you like to say, oh, these are the people that should read it?
1: The people who should read it are people um, that are working to develop physical products, that would like to get their products to market faster, that would like to be able to especially reduce friction between the layers of their product when their product consists of a hardware product with embedded software and perhaps apps and services that are bundled
2: with it. Mm-hmm. How would you like people, would you like them to read it or to use it? It's, it's more than, I think, just a quick read, isn't it? It's a There's a lot of depth in that book, at least of chapters I've seen, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think what we'd like them to do is to engage with it. We tell it quite a few of our stories. So the story in Chapter 1 is the story of how the Rapid Learning Cycles Framework developed over a series of um, projects. Um, and we'd like them to think about similar challenges in their own organizations um, when they get to chapter two and they start looking at, you know, the batches and queues that are actually underneath agile, we'd like them to be thinking about where they have batches and queues in their own organizations and, and then, and where they have friction. And then kind of, as they go through the book to kind of ask themselves, okay, this is what this group is doing and this is what's working for them. Are, are there elements of this that would work for us?
2: So it's it's a use it. This is a book intended to be used, not just read, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing for me, there, there's nothing better to than to come into a workshop or to visit a client or a prospective client and to see that they've got books that I've written um, and that they've obviously been used and perhaps even abused a bit. Yeah. You know, that that for me is very gratifying. I, I don't want to see one that's sitting on a shelf that's in good condition. <laughs> yeah. I want to see one that's been carried out into the lab and gotten stained and torn and, you know, <laughs> roughed up a
0: bit and having people engage with the method at least for the part that i was writing i'm not imagining that we know everything there is to know or are presenting a method that if you just do it exactly this way everything will be unicorns and rainbows forever it's much more a set of tools that you can think about how to apply in your environment and if you get some value if you can make an improvement that's that that helps you uh, whether or not it's exactly the same as what we're talking about isn't the point. It's were you able to take some of the principles uh, the, and see the batches, see the queues, and figure out how to make them flow through your system better.
2: Yeah, What I like about both of you is you're not just a couple of researchers who've just been reading and studying and writing. You actually have the practical experience in your own histories, as well as the companies you've been working with. So, uh, if I've got the book and I like what I'm, I'm seeing, and it's, you're there to provide more than just the book, aren't you? You have a business around this.
1: We we do. And to your point, it was it's very important to me that um, that both Kathy and I have that direct experience. That everything that they're reading about is stuff that has actually happened. You know, these are this is not. We're not writing theoretical case studies here. You know, we we may not always be able to disclose names of companies or specific projects, but we you know, but everything has been pretty heavily field tested at this point. And we do have classes, especially the rapid learning cycles framework, which is um, we have uh, definitely been um, I've been offering classes in that for quite a while now. Um, so, if for, for improving early product development, making that faster, flexible, and more responsive and then as far as the other stuff, you know, we, you know, we're definitely available as resources for teams that are interested in figuring out how to do this.
2: Yeah. Just sharing your expertise is, is, is um, it's really important, but it's really helpful. There's a lot of companies that really want that help and are willing to, to take the next step. And when somebody looks at, at, you've got free materials on your website. You've got the book. Okay, it's not free, but it's not, you know, it's reasonably free. I mean, it's, it doesn't cost much money and you're in. And then uh, you could just keep going as deep as you want, even having you uh, come in and be consultants uh, for any one of our companies that, that want to go further. Uh, what else do you want to say about the book? Any other comments or points you wanted to raise that things I didn't bring up?
1: Well, I'll say that one of the more enjoyable parts for me about writing the book was to go back and unearth some of those stories about where this came from and how we, both Kathy and I, and, and we, you know, it, we had different paths for a while and then, um, and then our paths started to converge and um, kind of how we, you know, how, how we had the insights that we had, like what we were. And so a lot of the book is kind of like, okay, here's what we tried and here's what we saw. And then here's what we did instead, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I tell my clients sometimes, you know, we make all the mistakes so you don't have to. And, um, you know, and that it is kind of very much about trying to explain through these examples a way of thinking about how to improve product development using these methods, using these ideas, um, so that you get the results that you're looking for. You know, so somebody's coming to this book and they're saying, "Well, Kathy and Catherine are going to tell me exactly what to do." Well, nobody can do that for you, especially because you know when we're writing about physical products and physical products are so vast. I mean, like everything you're, you know, I'm, you know, everything in my room that I'm looking at is a was a physical product at some point for somebody, and um, you know, and so I can't, you know, obviously, you know, if we're writing a book and you're making a, you know, a, a specialty chemical or you work in metals, you're you're going to have different challenges than somebody that is making you know, like the next GPS locator, you know, tag for a keychain. I mean, but all of you are going to have challenges that are much more common to each other than you do um, with the challenges that somebody's faces if they're releasing in the next app on the App Store.
0: Or the next major banking system. You know, the big, complicated software projects have massive requirements and massive needs that, are, that they have... Spent years developing, and it's been really good to to be able to do the cross fertilization. When we first started working on what would eventually be the rapid learning cycles, we're starting saying we know there's batches. We know the queuing theory tools will help. We're going to try things, basically copying some things from software, but see how it works and think about why is it working, why is it not working, and I distinctly remember one client or standing in and I'm watching them do the stand-up meeting and saying for this group The traditional questions the wrong question the question they keep trying to ask that's the right question for them Okay, so does that mean The batch we're delivering is actually different than the traditional and the answer was yes, it is different So trying things but thinking when they are working differently than you expected really think about why is that be willing to use things out of the, the traditional face gate world when those are the right thing to use and things that are coming out of the software world. There's a lot of really good techniques that were developed, mm-hmm. including those stand-up meetings, the, the way stand-up meetings work.
1: Mm-hmm. But, but doing it with a more discerning eye towards, is this actually moving the needle for me? Is this, this is what I think this is going to do to improve my process? Does it actually do that thing instead of just blindly copying?
2: Right. Yeah, and that's what I I like about your message is, you're you're saying, look, we're we're not going to come in and, and and say this is it because you know this is it is different for every company. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's an adaptability and a flexibility in your approach, uh, and, and also a recognition that hey, even even you guys could still learn new things together with a with a company, right? So I think that's really powerful.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, I've been um, working with another client that has some some unique challenges. And, you know, that has caused me to rethink some things about how to build an integrated plan. Um, So it's kind of like, yeah, we're constantly learning.
2: Yeah. And you're a partner for the company then. Yeah. Uh, You know, I wish people people are listening. They can't see. But when we do this podcast recording, I can see both of you. You can see me and, and I see smiles on your faces and I see pride. So clearly you are two people who are just enjoying what you're doing and very proud uh, of the area that you're working in and, and the impact that you're able to have on companies. You really thrive on that. It's very evident. So, yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you both for, for coming to talk about the book. It's been, been really interesting. When is it available officially?
1: So it will be available for pre-order right after the first of the year. And then the book itself will start shipping probably in mid-February.
2: Mid February, so get your orders in, everybody. <laughs> any last-minute comment on the book? Otherwise, I do have another another question I wanted to ask, Catherine.
1: <laughs> I think that if you are looking to make hardware development faster, flexible, and more responsive, then this is the book you need to read.
2: Perfect. Well said, Kathy. Any last comment? <laughs> Can't top that one, right? <laughs> Catherine, I I think you were you were maybe at the COP twenty six in Glasgow. Were you were you there, f- virtually or physically?
1: So I was physically in Glasgow for COP twenty six. To be clear, I was not in the blue zone, so I was not a negotiator. I can't even imagine those, <laughs>
0: their <laughs> yeah. jobs. Yeah.
1: Um, but I was at two events. I was that were side events for COP twenty um, six. One was the Sustainable um, Innovation Forum, um, which is something that's put on by a group called Climate Action. Um, they do a technology-focused event every, at every COP. They've done this for a number of COPs now. Those of you that don't know, COP stands for Conference of Parties, and it's just basically the UN, the, the major UN conference that brings together the parties to the climate agreements that the UN has negotiated over the years, and COP26 because this is the 26th conference of parties. They have side events. That, um, so I was at the Sustainable Technology um, Forum as side event. It was wonderful to be there. It was wonderful to be there amongst so many people, who are working to solve um, problems, and one of the more interesting questions that arose there was, you know, there are people out there who believe that we have all the technology we need, we just need the political will to implement it. And I believe that if that were true, we would have done it already. I think that we have, um, though there are a lot of great thoughts about how we're going to achieve the net zero world we need to achieve, the reality is we face some significant scalability challenges. And, and, and um, significant that require technology um, development um, to get from things that are great ideas and small scale, great ideas in the lab, um, but that we need them to, to scale quite a bit bigger. So I was very, very happy to be among that group, I'm very happy to be um, starting to connect with people so that I can work to help make that kind of development faster, uh, more flexible and more responsive because we're going to need it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you not only you took action. You you there's a website now. There's a there's a page up, uh, accelerate net zero, and and you're you're kind of getting getting involved, right?
1: I am. I am. I'm getting involved. Um, I spent another chunk of time in Glasgow helping a a team that has a, a new method for um, producing hydrogen from green energy. For those of you who are uh, who follow this, you know that hydrogen is a source of energy that we're likely to need for things like long-haul trucking and long-distance shipping and aerospace, um, because those are are applications where that need very dense energy, not just electricity. The weight of the batteries make that prohibitive. And so they're looking for other solutions and um, producing hydrogen from green energy is the solution they're looking at. So this is just one small piece of a very big puzzle, but I'm very happy that I've been able to be a part of it. And I hope to do even more of that going forward.
2: Yeah, that's super. And if there's never a better example of if we had the technology to do that, we would be using it. Absolutely. Right. So the technology's not there yet. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yes. It's, it's, you know, it's like, I think at this point, we probably have the we know the technology sets we need, um, but, but those technologies themselves um, are still quite a long way from being where they need to be. But there's going to be a lot of really exciting work over the last the next few years. And I want to I want it to go as fast as possible.
2: Great for you. Well, this is exciting because I've now had the pleasure of talking to two people that were there. I did a a recent podcast with Jeffrey uh, Whitford from Millipore Sigma, and he went through his experiences from it. So I need to connect you guys (laughs) at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, awesome.
2: Okay, well, I wanna thank you both again. Uh, Very enjoyable conversation, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best of success in the book and all the business that that comes after that to help people make this transition and be more successful at bringing the the physical side of of their product uh, out more successfully, streamline faster, reduce the friction inside their companies. There's so much here that's uh, that's really exciting. So thanks for joining us, and uh, let's let's keep in touch. Let's touch base again. I, I wish you both the best. All right, thank you. And to you, our listeners, thanks for joining us. I hope you uh, enjoyed that session as much as I did. And I wish you all a great week ahead. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care and bye for now.
0: Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com sopheo where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.